This is the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. Inside, you'll learn how to build, grow, and scale your digital marketing agency all from the comfort of your favorite coffee shop. Let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Digital Agency Insiders. This is the podcast that gives you a little inside look into how entrepreneurs have built and grew their digital marketing agencies. My name is Tabitha Thomas. I'm your host. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I want to encourage you to go and hit that subscribe button because every single Tuesday, we release a new episode with a new digital agency owner, giving you guys some peeks behind the curtains of what it looks like to run those businesses. So today I have with me David Ledgerwood. And David is the managing partner at Ad10. He and his team use a proven process to help B2B tech companies gain six to seven digit annual growth by providing sales strategy, execution, and ops for their clients. David, welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. All my friends call me Ledge, so please. Ledge, I like it. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I love that intro. I don't know if I wrote that or you wrote that, but you know, I think. Let's say a combination of the two. Okay. <laughs> we both get credit for it. We both get Everybody credit listen for it. to that, will you? That was good yeah. stuff. Thanks. Sales, not marketing. Yeah. So the very first question that I ask on every single podcast that I do is always the same. And it is, what did the path to entrepreneurship look like for you? Because it's it's different for every single person. It never it's never a straight path. It's always curvy, bouncy, and hilly. <laughs> so what did that look like for you? So I trace my first inklings to, so this is like, I'm a little bit older probably than some of the entrepreneurs that, that you have on. And um, I graduated college in 1999 and there wasn't really this discussion of entrepreneurship as a thing. Like you really didn't go and make your own company at that point. It's kind of like internet's just getting started. Silicon Valley is making startups, but nobody else is. It was not very accessible. The tools weren't there. And uh, so we didn't really think about that. You know, we just went and got a job. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> but I had, I had the sense that I, you know, kind of, well, I have, I have probably some authority problems and, and um, you know, so I, I didn't really, I never found a boss that I really loved, you know, working for, for the first five or six years. And then um, I don't know. I just thought about, you know, I, I, I guess I want to work for myself at some point and what would that look like? And, and finally, the blogosphere and different things started to catch up and gave me enough, you know, sort of, I don't know, personal, uh, personal courage, I guess, to think about that at least, or, or at least uh, maybe a perspective that it was possible and that you could do that on the internet. So I started a little company, web design, you know, like everybody did in, in June 2000, and we did web hosting and different things. And that was sort of a, a first adventure. It didn't really go anywhere, but it wet my appetite and we took a day off of work and made a website and we had a business and that, that was super cool. And then long after that though, I was actually at the World Trade Center on 9-11 and uh, we hid under our desk kind of thing. I was like a block away from from there. And, you know, so buildings came down and, and the world is ending and, you know, everybody kind of thought, you know, wow, what am I going to do next? And, you know, am I going to survive? Uh, so that was a kind of a catalyst of like, I don't want to die under a desk that I don't really, um, where I hate my job, you know? So, so I didn't do it right away, but fast forward a few years and I, you know, did a different 
set of jobs and worked for some some other people and had some good experiences, but then ultimately just decided I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to move to, uh, this is this is up near New York, and I'm going to move to Nashville, Tennessee and start a company. And I did that with some other guys that I, that I worked with. And uh, we were woefully inept at marketing and, you know, all kinds of <laughs> I mean, I look back now and I'm like, I wouldn't even hire me as a client. Like, forget about that. Was, was that a good idea? I mean, there was there was some seeds of truth in there. But um, at any rate, we we did some consulting and we ended up getting getting a business. I mean, in spite of ourselves, up to about half a million in, in revenue and then going into the the uh, recession in 2009, we just got decimated. So mm. after that, I'm on number 13. So some have been a hit and some have been not a hit. And, uh, you know, you're always hoping that it's the last one that you need to do. Yeah. Maybe it's not the last one that you, you know, get to do. It's a, it becomes more of a privilege. So well, That's and more. other entrepreneurs that I've talked to say it's it's never one and done. You're always your your view of it is always twisting and changing and and becoming different. So it's it's never stagnant. So it's very much about getting to the area where you feel comfortable enough to focus on something like that. You you know that and I was told to focus you know 15 years ago and I didn't. But um, and I, I have a business partner partner that helps me focus and you know sort of doesn't let me run down the idea train, you know, all the time. But um, yeah, I think that that's right. Like, you don't want to put all that learning and investment to waste, you know, otherwise you have like 16 MBAs and doing the wrong stuff and, and you never actually do the right stuff. So you, know, you, mm-hmm. just have to, you just have to keep going, right? If you never, if you never stop, then you can't say that you lost, I guess. <laughs> So very true. So very true. So tell me a little bit about Add One Zero, and and let me just say I love the business name because <laughs> it definitely stands out. Uh, so tell me about what you guys do there. So Add One Zero was a, a kitschy, fun way to say 10x because everybody says you got a 10x your business. Uh-huh. I, I honestly, it was some random thought in the shower. It's just funny, like how many times I put like an excruciating amount of time into branding and trying to come up with a brilliant name this one was just like yeah cool whatever let's do it and everybody loves this one the most so <laughs> it just shows like stop spending so much time on beating your head against the wall with the name of your business like go with go with your gut maybe uh, yeah so i in my entrepreneurial journey i ended up in the sales or business development seat usually as the second third fourth kind of co-founder at the table and just ended up having to do sales like how do we sell things um i did not aspire to that i was a technologist i was an operator you know i i had no idea but i i just came to the idea that wow none of this matters if we don't have revenue and you know you can sit around all day long talking about your mission and your values and how you're going to change the world and your product and customers like all those things but it's all cart before horse like if you don't have money you can't do that like that's just like gas in the engine it's mm-hmm. the engine itself right yeah and i just decided to dedicate my thought process to that simple truth that you know no founder i ever met and certainly not myself ever woke up at 3 a.m looking at the ceiling and wished for anything except more sales and that's what I did several times coming into companies where there was maybe a quarter million, half a million in sales, you know, founders have bootstrapped it to 
a decent point. It's not new concept. It's not, you know, brand new go to market strategy. We don't do that. But what was the playbook that would get you from half a million to 5 million? Like that's the 10 X that I was interested in. And that was the add one zero concept. So we took that and I did that several times at, at several different companies for other people. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I think that there's, there's a real need for, you hear all the time about fractional CMOs, fractional CFOs, fractional COOs. And I was just like, why isn't there a fractional sales division or a fractional VP of sales? You know, like, how do you get a super piece of a really expensive closer and do that as a service? And that's what we do. So businesses need to bring in their own leads. We are not a demand gen service. Like you need people to come to your site and book meetings. And the instant that meeting is booked, we do all the work. We close the deals. It looks just like this on the call. You have a super senior rep who would cost you a quarter million dollars fully loaded if you hired them as a VP of sales, but, but you're not. We just handle the calls and we close the deals and we get it done for you. So I was really adamant on my, I've done consulting. I've done a lot of consulting. I didn't want to sell advice. You know, there's endless people you can go to and say, build me a sales system or tell me how to sell more or do some outbound calling or like, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Like I want to lead with making people money. I want to close deals. And I want all of us to be focused on closing deals because if I bring clients more money, I think that's the biggest kind of gift, right? To the entrepreneur. Like, I don't want you ever to wake up at three o'clock in the morning wondering where your next sale is going to come from. And that's, that's all we do. That's pretty incredible. Well, it's got to give them a peace of mind uh, to be able to, to let that go. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And if you don't yeah. aspire to be closer. Now, some people we work with are, they're really good sales CEOs of their own right. And they, they kind of only need operational support. And so we're mm-hmm. talking that, you know, like that, because part of what we do is just, we leverage the very expensive rep time, which would be me or someone like me. Yeah. On calls that we make sure they're always on calls by having a really strong process and back end and automation and sales ops person that kind of ghosts behind the rep. So mm-hmm. reps are on calls, taking notes or recording calls. And like, that's what they do because that's the highest leverage, most expensive time to get the closer on calls. And they shouldn't really do anything else except make those deals. So that's kind of how it works. That's pretty awesome. So who, or how do you find your ideal client? Who is your ideal client? How do you find them? We work with B2B companies that are either selling technology services or really sort of super technology enabled and you know it's like dependent upon SaaS for example so Mm -hmm. we actually work with some marketing style agencies some niche managed service providers some SaaS companies Um, initial client development was very much just I have like 5,000 LinkedIn connections. So, I mean, oh, wow. it was really like telling is selling, you know, like I'm going to message one at a time people and tell them what I'm doing. Yeah. 
And some of those would say, don't ever talk to me again. And some of those would say, hey, that's awesome. I know a guy you should talk to. And then I would talk to that guy and and see what happens, right? So uh, I think that's how we connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. I don't remember even why. Maybe you re- you outreached her. <laughs> I think those of us that get it, right? Like, yeah. what do you do? And I needed to tell more people about it. So we just worked on scaling that. And it wasn't, you could buy services that do all the LinkedIn outreach and all that. But yeah. this was just, it's just us, the core team. Yeah. We got to tell people what we do and iterate that offer as you go, because turns out the way that we wanted to sell it maybe isn't exactly how people want to buy it. So keep changing that. So, um, man, be nimble, you know? Yeah. Uh, podcasts have been great. I think you probably discovered that too, that have your own and or be on others. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually how I found you was going to, um, another podcast that you were on. I was like, ah, that guy's got some stuff. Let's pull him. <laughs> Much appreciated. I'm glad I pulled it off, but yeah, I think that matters. So every time we do these, every time I do one, you know, it tends that somebody listens to it and comes and says, Hey, I want to at least talk yeah. to service. So yeah, that's huge. I would, uh, I would recommend that to everyone, but more than anything, like just literally message people and have it together with your pitch and tell them what you do. I mean, so many yeah. of us like are just like the instinct for some reason is like, oh, I don't want to sell or I don't want to put people out. And just like, again, telling is, is selling, selling. and, mm-hmm. you know, and sharing is caring, right? You know, it's like you have yes. to tell people what you do and um, that works. So when you find a client and you're pitching your own services, I'm assuming that that's a, probably a pretty easy task if you're promising, you know, six to seven digit annual growth, how much are you charging people and how does that sales process go for you in particular? A million dollars. No, we're not. <laughs> um, our service is really easy. So what we, you know, people often say, well, I don't have enough when I have enough leads, that'll make a lot of sense. And we said, well, it doesn't really matter, right? The leads that you get, now you have to have some, yeah. right? You have some people that want to do a call with you about your thing. If you don't have that, you're, you know, not probably okay. And we fit ideally in that sort of six figure kind of range where a founder would have got you to quarter million to a half a million. And, you know, that's, that's a real business. There's something there. Mm-hmm. there's probably enough referrals. There's probably enough interest coming inbound that we can make something work out of that. But we just think of it as like, look, let's get a really senior rep sales. We, we call them on like, let's make them available for a capacity of five calls, 10 calls or 20 calls a week. Where do you fit? Like, do you have five inbound people or close to that per week? that would allow you know the calls to get scheduled and if you do then right now and you know luckily we're sort of blessed with people want to do the thing that we're doing but so at time of recording the capacity to have somebody on five calls like reserving the space for five calls per week again it's still your job to get people to schedule Mm -hmm. that's about 2500 per month and then it goes up to about 3,500 for 10 calls a week and about 6,000 for 20 calls per week. And 
you're, you're essentially making sure you have the capacity to handle that inbound. So then you ought to think about, do I, do I spend enough on demand gen to, to fill that capacity also? So you might end up, you know, essentially doubling that budget to kind of cover the whole space there. Gotcha. And we, do, um, we do a commission on every dollar that we book that kind of varies somewhere between 10 and 15%, depending on the industry, the average contract value. So it's a little bit. So you've got skin in the game as well, as far as closing people. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to take your money and I'm going to try to close them. I mean, you've got something in it for you as well. Yeah. I could tell people like literally we cover the cost of having that capacity in place with that. So that retainer doesn't get us a whole lot. Yeah. So it, it covers just making that capacity available like we're totally bought into the backside so we, nice. we have to close you deals or we're never going to make anything and um, that's the way we like it you know we want to be incentivized to align well with the business and we're also not the kind of people that are going to book you lousy clients you know you hear that all the time that you know well you know you're just going to book whatever comes in the door and make them outlandish promises so that you can get commission I understand there's some, you know, sort of evil, dark salespeople out there that might <laughs> behave that way. That that isn't how we would tend to do it. And we'll often say, you know, this this prospect is has money, but they're going to be horrible to deal with, and we don't think you should book them. Oh. Now, it's always your job as the CEO to kind of decide, like, you know, apply the horrible tax, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. God, look, you know, your average contract value is 15 grand. I can get 70 from this one, but you're going to pay dearly for it. Do you want me to do it or not? And yeah. so like sometimes we'll have those conversations, but we work very closely with, we're, we're white labeled to this point that you can't tell the difference between us and an employee because we're so close. We're so there. We work so closely with operations and delivery and customer success and marketing. And, you know, it's just, we've become embedded i just think it's another way to procure that talent that you need instead of maybe a, an inside sdr who's just doing a lot of outbound and hunting and sort of not focused and you can't turn over founder-led sales to somebody at that mm. sort of junior um, inexperienced level and expect it just to work. You need to build the program. So mm -hmm. part of what we do is close the actual business and use the actual business to develop the program that's necessary. So when we do get you to 5 million in sales, you can hire your own VP of sales, you know, effectively at that point. This is the yeah. thing that hurts a lot of businesses. They hire in sales too quickly. They can't afford what they really need, but they, the founder can't do it anymore. So you're mm -hmm. up against that problem of like, what do I do at that point when I need to hand off sales, but I can't really afford to hand off sales. So that was the problem that we, you know, sort of set out to solve there and, and it fits and it's exactly That's, there. You don't hire at that point. You hire at the point of when you have that mid seven figures and you can yeah. internalize that. Well, here's the program. We'll just hand it over to you. And yeah. we built all that while we were making you money. So it's a pretty good value proposition. No kidding. So what does it look like when you actually get somebody on with your services? I'm assuming that you're going in and reviewing all of their sales process and what they're saying and what they're doing. And is that that onboarding process, does that take a little bit of time to build all of that out? It takes less time than you think. I mean, when you do this over and over and over again, like we, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, like there's 
there's only six kinds of stories or something, you know, like man versus man and man versus nature or whatever. And yeah. man versus the supernatural. It's kind of the same thing with products and services, right? Like we can grok that pretty fast, you know? So give us everything you got, answer our basic questions and we can generally be on functionally. We can shadow you on calls within a week or two consume the recorded calls that you have on on tap and we would tell you to do that right so we'd say yeah start recording your calls right away and we'll consume all that material take a bunch of notes um start recording the answer that you say to every question and two or three weeks down the road we could start taking calls and and closing them usually within four to five weeks Wow. That's actually a lot faster than I honestly thought it was going to be like a few months of, of honing the process at least. Everybody says that. Um, it's not, you know, and, yeah. and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think that's part of the nature of like senior sales people is that we've kind of like, I've sold $35 million of stuff, you know, <laughs> like you can't come up with something that new that we don't know what the value prop of those things are. Remember, if you're value-based selling, I don't care about the nuances and the tiny little features because that's not what you should be selling. You should be selling what difference does it make to the customer? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot fewer answers that really make a difference to the customer than people think. You know, they get into the minutia of here are all the things my product does. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things, I mean, we end up doing all kinds of marketing work too. It's just, that's not... We don't consider it out of scope. We just consider it necessary. So it's a yeah. blocker for us making money if your copy is wrong or if your packages aren't priced the right way. And so we kind of just, we're going to do all that. So not in a wrecking through kind of way, but just like, hey, let's you know, eyes on the prize. Let's get sales, right? We're going to work on all the things that are in the way of you booking a sustainable MRR or, you know, large contract value. And so just the nature of doing that really will increase your contract value. Yeah. Packaging itself makes a huge difference. So it's just, I don't know, you do a lot of these and you, you get better and better. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not going to ever tell you I'm a marketer. Like I would work with, you know, an agency on marketing because I don't, I don't know those things. I mean, I can, I can talk to you about sales informed marketing, yeah. leads in, but I know what we do. We do it well. And, we don't want to tell anybody else how to do their job. We just want to make the revenue machine work. And it's a lot faster than, than people think. It's just not that hard to do when you're used to it. That's awesome. So what would you say most clients when they come in, what's the one thing or that they're missing or maybe the main reason that they come to you that, that they're looking to increase sales, but they're, they're missing this little bitty thing that you're, you're amazing at that they're not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, I think it's just in general founders set out with the idea maybe of doing something more than selling something, you know, they're yeah. just awesome at what they do. They're practitioners, at least our founders, like they're yeah. practitioners, they have a vision, they can hold the whole thing together. Uh, but they, they aren't closers, you know, they don't know how to make deals. Um, but there's just little tweaks that we can make. Like first thing we always do is package stuff up, like give it a name, you know, and why, why do you do that? Because if you name something, it automatically means that you felt so confident in your authority in that space 
that you could give it a name and you could sell it. Whereas most of the time a service company will come in and well, we customize everything. And they use that as a selling point. What that means is you're not confident enough in what you sell or you look not confident enough in what you sell. So let's make you look confident if we then pin each of these things into maybe three named packages and it makes sense and it's coherent. Well, it just became easier to sell. And the, the backside of that is it became really easy to order and deliver to your operations. Like if I can say, here's the silver, I sold the silver package and everybody in delivery and operations and customer success, everybody knows exactly what that means. Yeah. We didn't have to spend any more time translating that internally. Yeah. So the operational efficiencies are also huge. And so I think that's what we think about is how you build a scalable business that's rooted in making more revenue. And yeah. the rest kind of flows from there. That's awesome. So what do you think the biggest misconception that people have when it comes to closing sales for anybody, whatever business it is. Cause a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not very good at sales. And I always, everybody tells me you are good at sales. You just don't think it's sales. <laughs> yeah. People have this idea that sales is dirty or like asking money is wrong or, you know, some of the, like, oh, I don't want to be too salesy. Pushy. Well, yeah. If you don't ask for money, why would someone give it to you? Yeah. Well, and if you're confident in what you do and then it has value, you're doing a disservice not asking people to pay you for that. You know, if you are really so good and awesome at what you do and the world should have your thing, you deserve to be in business and you should ask for the value of that work. You should be able to quantify the value of that work. So I just blanch when people say, oh, it's too salesy or I don't want to be like that or it, all I did was ask for money. I said, here is the value of what you're doing. And you can pay for it or not. And uh -huh. part of what scares people, I think, about selling is you need to be able to walk and you need to have enough confidence in what you do. They say, like, I'm not taking less than that thing is worth. And that means that, you know, look, a good close ratio is 20%. So if you're going to walk from 80% of those things, or they're going to walk from you, you need to be okay with that. Yeah. Be okay with no. That's the hard one. I think for me, I'm not okay with people telling me no. <laughs> you know, one yeah. of the hardest things like people, you know, if you look at the pipeline of, of most organizations we walk into is it's, it's fat in the middle. Cause there's a whole bunch of maybes waiting for some magical thing that might happen later. Like I want yes or I, or no right now. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think about later. You know, I want, I want to know, where to not spend my time. So it's either a thing or it's not a thing. You know, a do it or not, there is no try, right? You know, so yeah. very Yoda-esque. Yeah. That's you know? very Yoda. <laughs> like, let's, get the, let's get the firm yes or firm no, because a maybe is just running the tap and not doing anything with the water. And it's a big old waste. So mm. that's our opinion. I like it. I like it. So what has been some of the biggest struggles you've had in you know, starting and running add one zero. Well, you I'm going to guess know. it's not sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, you know, in, in a sense, like we had to dog food our own stuff, right? You know, yeah. so am I offering people something of value? Am I providing or am I making a service that's scalable like at all? Yeah. So early on, the big thing was like, does this work? Because ledge can sell. 
because if that's all we are, then it doesn't scale, right? Mm -hmm. So our big, big theory and challenge was, what if I take a client and we make from the beginning, you know, a lot of value for that client and build a system? Can I hand the system to another sales lead? And can that the person hold the line on the metrics or make them better? And mm -hmm. that's what we had to prove. And we didn't know, you know, so it, we weren't sure at all if it would scale from a service perspective. It did. And we were successful and that happened. And then we continued to add more clients. But, you know, you need to have like kind of a aggressive proposition. And that's the big risk, right? Like, yeah. You know, how many people think they have a great idea and then nobody else thinks it's a great idea, you know, and uh, or it's or it's a solution looking for a problem like that. That stuff happens a lot yeah. where you kind of go like, I know you solved this problem for yourself, but like nobody else has it, you know, and, or a tiny amount of people have it and you can't deliver it profitably. So um, we just we're trying to we try to be super pragmatic about our own business, like what thing have we not planned for that mm. is possible to happen? Like we war game all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know, like as someone who lost a business in the 2009 recession, and then I'm like, of course there's a global pandemic, you know, six so said, Did you see that one coming? <laughs> we started the business. Like, you know, so, but we learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things back then and, I can bring to the table now and I'm just like cash is king you know yeah we don't spend it if we don't have it we, we keep executing we do what we do and build up that cash in the bank because you don't know yeah. what's going to happen next and if you don't have that money you don't spend that money and um so it's all that history you know comes back and but I had a laugh at myself. Like, of course I started a business like right going into this, you know, like, why, so this is all, not? this is all your fault, right? You started a business. This happened. <laughs> <laughs> so what has been the biggest, um, biggest success story with you guys in your agency? What's the, the one, the one thing that you're just like, that was amazing. I just love the metrics every quarter. We take the measures on what we actually do for clients. And we have, you know, that's the that's the fun part because I can I can literally and I even put them on LinkedIn. I was like, let's hold ourselves accountable. So we had, you know, like six percent when we walked in, it was six percent like lead to close ratio, and now it's twenty. Um, average contract values increased by thirty percent. You know, so like you're closing more money more often. You know, um, pipeline more full for production for an agency style client than it's ever been like they have we're putting them under stress because they have to hire more delivery people like those wow. things that's exciting right the it yeah. isn't about the money it's like this makes a material difference like founders paying themselves money that they never could before uh that's i don't know that's what gets me excited is that you know we make a real difference and you can measure what we do like we either bring you more money or we don't and yeah. I'll fire us for you if we don't make you more money because I think that's just what matters. And it isn't like, it isn't just, it's not like we're just sort of like, it's all about the money and it's only for the money. That's just how we keep score, right? And if you want to take all the profit that we helped you make 
and save the whales or donate to your church or, you know, start three other businesses, like do whatever you want, like pump it back into marketing. Like, yeah. I mean, I'll try to give you good advice if you ask, but like, that's none of my business. Like, all I'm saying is I want to give you optionality. Like, I want to give you the ability to never have that 3 a.m. moment where you are stuck thinking like, how am I going to make payroll in two weeks? Like, I'd rather have you say like, how am I going to spend all this money? Mm -hmm. The next right thing. Like, that's exciting when people tell you, hey, you made a difference in our people's lives. Like we created jobs, you know, like that's stuff that matters these days. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So the last question that I always like to end every podcast with, is there anything that you're currently listening to or reading that is helping you grow either personally or as an entrepreneur, or are you one of those that needs like junk TV to, to purge your brain of all the stuff? <laughs> I have several answers to the question. Yeah. So I like to read something historical and, you know, sort of interesting. So I'm reading um, John Adams by David McCullough now. So okay. a famous researcher for like American history stuff. So he wrote about presidents and everything. So John Adams is really neat. You should totally check that out. Super long, but kind of interesting. Like, and I, I just relate a lot to like what this guy did. He was like, you know, second president, but didn't aspire to that and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I love that. I'm a history channel buff. So I yeah, love watching yeah. documentaries. So that's right up my, everybody so makes this, fun of me. I don't care. It's awesome. And I, and I ship away at books. Like I'll have three or four open. I kind of like uh-huh. walk bounce around. Out. Yeah. I'm also reading, um, Brian Cranston's autobiography is called the life in parts. Um, he's the okay. guy, the, the actor who played like, uh, Malcolm in the middle and Breaking okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that's a neat book too, just to hear somebody tell their story. I like that a lot. Um, I'm currently rewatching all the Expendables movies. So <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I, I was joking with our our team, you know, it's like, that's how I, sometimes what I feel like is like, we're just like those crazy people that need to, you know, parachute in with like huge guns and blow stuff up and, you know, just try to make impossible things happen. So uh, that's my, I guess that's my junk TV. I don't watch, I don't actually own a television or um, I have no cable or. Well, hang on. You got five kids, you're in quarantine and you have no TV. (laughs) How are Um, you sane right now? (laughs) Well, they watch a lot of Netflix on like tablets. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, no cable or I've been a cord cutter for like forever. So like, I forget the commercials even exist. Yeah. Oh, see, and I live for commercials. I have a degree in advertising. And that's just like, right. oh, I, I was that kid that watched the Super Bowl commercials over the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, it was like that too, you know? So yeah, it's funny because like random things like that happen and we like, daddy, we can't watch the Super Bowl. And like, they're finally streaming it, you know, years yeah. later, right? So at least- Well, we- you can watch all the commercials the next day. They put it all on one channel. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, so no, I don't, I don't, I don't do TV, but- um, yeah, I read an insane amount of, I try not to read like sensational news or anything like that, but I like, I yeah. consume a lot of economic news, you know, things like that. So we, especially at, in these unprecedented times, <laughs> we have to, you know, be aware of macroeconomics and yeah. you know, interest rates and all kinds of stuff. So ultimately every business you're kind of in like, you're in the cash management business. So mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of that. We war game a lot of economics too, but 
Uh, I think it's just because we're big nerds, but we convince ourselves it has something to do with business. <laughs> so uh, is there any advice that you would give to anyone? Most of our listeners, you know, are digital agency owners who are always struggling with making sales. So is there any advice you would give them on uh, how to up their sales game? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, one thing I see with agencies a lot is I think maybe agency owners, you know, often come from the creative marketing side. And you all seem very obsessed with these elaborate, beautiful decks that you pitch every mm. deal with. And the first thing I do is like, I'll go expendable style on those things. I'm like, no, like, we're not doing any of this. Like, I want a two page proposal that's in a PDF and is boring. It's ugly and it tells, not ugly, it's well styled. You can change yeah. the colors and put your logo on it. But like these 16 page decks or, you know, like these elaborate presentations, I'm like, the people want to do business with you. Like, make it easier. Easier. Mm-hmm. Like, so package your thing and sell your thing. Wow, it's going to be different and every client is different. It's not, it shouldn't be, you know? So like package it up, make it tight. Like you do something different, better, more than every other agency that's out there. You have to, or, or like you're not real. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the thing that drives me nuts. Sometimes it's like, let's make this sellable. Like, and when I say make it sellable, like let's make it viable. Like you don't walk in and have to have like a custom box of, you know, pasta or whatever at the store. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you can walk up and take it off the shelf and go like, that's the brand I want. Like, I I know this, right. And I think we need to make things simple to buy. And so that's what I want agency folks to do is like, make it simple to buy. And just know that if you are awesome at delivering what you do, people will want to come back and buy more. That's when you can customize. Let's get the step in offer. Like just Mm -hmm. get the first couple grand out of them and do a killer job. Like they're going to, it's sticky. What you do is hard to replace, right? Just get the initial revenue. And I I think that's missing, you know, kind of all the time. So that's the first thing I do is blow up those decks. That's good advice. No, I like it. Make it easier to buy. That's always good advice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ledge, for being on the call with us and being on the podcast and telling us a little bit about how to become better salesmen. I appreciate that. It is awesome to be here. And I wish everybody, you know, bountiful sales during these unprecedented times. But hopefully what we gave you, you know, here is a little bit evergreen to use, you know, as you're build up that cash and spend money on marketing. And, you know, we'll come out the other side. and Everybody's going to be rolling. Yes, yes. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. For more tutorials on growing your digital marketing agency, make sure to visit digitalagencyinsiders.com.